This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is indeed BFM 89.9. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes this afternoon. It is 12.05, coming up to 12.06 on Wednesday, the 13th of December 2023. It's the turnaround in the week in the turnaround month to the end of the year. How quickly December has flown by, ladies and gentlemen. Now, on today's show, I'm going to be exploring the uh, transformative power of connectivity in Southeast Asia and how this causes or can cause uh, a digital divide in the region. Over the years, connectivity has advanced tremendously, but there are still parts of Southeast Asia that have not benefited from it due to a limited access and a lack of digital inclusivity. To understand this, Edgepoint, who are an ASEAN-based independent telecommunications infrastructure company, recently released a digital equity white paper uh, titled An Infrastructure-Based Approach to Advance Digital Equity in Southeast Asia. Now, this white paper identifies connectivity challenges from an infrastructure provider's perspective in three key economies, namely Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. It also provides information on potential policy changes to address gaps within these economies. Now, for some context, the white paper revealed that in Malaysia, 76% of the population are mobile users, but only 66% have access to mobile internet. Whereas in Indonesia, 56% of the population have mobile devices, but only 47% are connected to the internet. And similarly, in the Philippines, 54% are mobile device users, with only 42% with access to mobile internet. Now, as for the percentage of the population with no 4G coverage, Findings from the white paper show disparities within several countries, including the Philippines and Indonesia with 5% and Malaysia down at 3%. Now, there's a lot to get through and we're going to get through some of that with our guests in a moment. But on today's show, as I mentioned earlier, we will be looking at the current state of connectivity in ASEAN and how maybe we can bridge that gap with some other countries in driving digital inclusivity and connectivity. To help me out with this conversation today is Suresh Sidhu. He is the Chief Executive Officer and one of the founders over at Edgepoint. Uh, Welcome to the show, Suresh. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, uh, Richard. Absolute pleasure to have you here, sir. Before I get into the questions, I'm going to invite some of the audience to uh, participate if they'd like to. If you have any questions for us, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. And of course, you can get us on X. We are at BFM Radio. Okay, sir, let's just dive straight in, right? So based on this white paper you've put together, can you explain the current state of this digital divide in Southeast Asia and its impact on both rural and urban communities? Sure. Look, I think one of the things, if you think about the data you just uh, cited there, Richard, you know, is that actually two communities, when you think about the digital divide, we often focus on the most obvious one, the unconnected. Mm. That's obvious, you know, Uh, and I think in uh, Malaysia, for example, we've had so many stories, especially over the COVID period about children unable to participate in school, having to walk yeah. miles, you know, uh, climb trees to get a signal. So the unconnected, I think, is evident, you know, mm. to, to all of us. Mm. But if you think about the data where, you know, unique subscribers represent 76%, you know, we often look at something called mobile SIM penetration, which is well over 100, 140. Yeah. But 
if you work out how many are actual individuals, therefore it's only in the 70 plus range. So nearly every Malaysian has on average two SIMs. Yeah. So there's many people. Yes, there are babies and older people, but there's a reasonable number mm. of uh, participating adults that don't actually have uh, a mobile phone. Mm. And then if you think about connectivity and access to the internet, that's also lower. So the underserved is the second segment that's important to understand, right? Mm. Many people are getting some kind of service, but you know, but they're not getting enough service as well. So mm. I think we're trying to look at those two issues, addressing both. Mm. The the other point then is, you know, okay, what gets in the way? Mm. Um, and we often, I think if you're not a technical person or in the industry, I think we often think, well, just add more radio sites. Signal is all that's needed. That's probably the easiest thing to solve because if someone's living somewhere where there's no radio signal, well, let's just put up some equipment. Right. But how does the equipment sit there? Where does it connect to? Mm. Um, Who's going to service it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think there's a more fundamental piece here. And, and I, it's perhaps, I always like to say, you know, the internet actually um, is built on a backbone of steel and glass, right? So you need the towers. Mm. The towers need to connect to something so they can use a microwave or satellite. Or the glass bit is actually fiber, right? So mm. Fiber is largely, you know, glass, right? So, uh, and that you have to solve, to solve the, you know, equity gap, there are many things. There are a lot of social policies, access, affordability, but you also have to solve the physical problem of getting this access to people, right? Mm. It actually mm. needs to be there in the first place mm. before people can use it. Okay. You mentioned fundamentals there. Let's let's back down to fundamentals a bit then and talk about how mobile connectivity influences economic growth, particularly in Southeast Asia. How important is it? Actually, Southeast Asia is what we call a mobile first region, yeah. right? And I think that's our parlance, but I see that now echoed in other analyst reports as well. What it means is that people's primary connectivity uh, device is something mobile. Yeah. Even in Malaysia, where we have pretty good, you know, fixed broadband, and I think pretty excellent, you know, sort of reach for broadband to the home and to the office, um, data usage on mobile far outstrips any other um, sort of medium as well. Do right? you have a, like a percentage for that? How, how far? So, just I, so for example, I think it's part. typically around. Two times. So I think in Malaysia, the average mobile user is using just under 30 gigs per user per month. It's you and me, you know. On So it's a lot. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot, right? And uh, Indonesia and the Philippines are just in the 10 to 15 gig range. Uh -huh. um, developed markets are closer to the Malaysian number. Some are a little bit lower, Yeah. right? Um, so you can That's imagine. That's a huge amount of data. It's, it's, it's massive, right? Yeah. So. We rely on it. Yeah. We rely on it because we can't rely too much often on having perfect alt other connectivity fixed. Mm. And I think it's habit, mm. Mm. right? We've got so used to mobile phones, so you, you become, that's what you use. Mm. Um, Multi-generational homes are another factor if you think about it. Mm. Like you can get a fiber to the home, but your personal internet is your phone, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I think these are all the little, you know, kind of things that drive a, a more mobile-centric approach, right? Yeah. I mean, the amount of um, work that happens via the mobile phone, you know, um, I'll give you some examples. You know, here in the office as well, even, even though I'm sat right opposite somebody or I might be taking a meeting, uh, notes are coming in via my mobile phone the entire time, you know, and it, it, 
I, I can see where those numbers come from. They're not yeah. inflated numbers. It, it's something that's very, very real. Well, these are pretty. Obje- these numbers are all objective. They, yeah. operators report them into all sorts of things, and people like the uh, GSMA, which is the industry. Um, uh, association across mm, the globe mm. for mobile operators, they report all this data. So mm. our source data is actually from the industry itself, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's, but you actually say the right thing. You get messages from everywhere. So you, you'd asked about the impact. So let me give you a number, and then let me give you a bit of a simple example. Yeah. So the impact is typically people cite that when you improve mobile penetration by 10%, you get a percentage point increase in GDP growth, right? So it's a decent, that's a decent number. But Why? Right. Mm. So uh, I guess for the unserved, right, they get to participate for the first time. Mm. So, yes, we can understand that. But the underserved is more interesting. Today, you know, um, I think people like you and me, Richard, we work in a nice office. You know, we have uh, you know, nice places to live. We have access to all sorts of connectivity everywhere. Many people today work in gig economy type jobs. Yeah. They rely on the mobile phone. They need good coverage everywhere. Yeah. So... If coverage is great from a mobile point of view, they're likely to get more jobs and fulfill kind of more activity on an average day. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they experience a lot of black holes, they're disadvantaged to people with better coverage to get some of those jobs as well. So some very yeah. simple examples yeah. about how small differences in mobile coverage could probably impact the you know, income of I mean, um, kind of you know uh, lower socioeconomic yeah, groups. Me right? and you yeah. might complain that our, our, our ways has kind of <laughs> yeah. tipped out, you know, as yeah. we're heading downtown or we're heading into PJ or something. But yeah, it, it's the people who are on the the motorcycles who are moving all the way around town. When that connectivity dips out, it, it's their livelihood that's on the line. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Just before we take a break, then um, the white paper suggests. Uh, nine policy themes for digital equity. Can you kind of highlight a couple that you think are most critical for this region? I think the number one item we say is connecting the endpoint to somewhere. So um, for the unders, this is the unserved, right? So mm-hmm. if you look at, you know, uh, Sabah, Sarawak, even rural, you know, parts of Peninsular Malaysia, quite often, um, it's easy enough, you know, there's all the talk about a kampong that doesn't have coverage. Right. But as I said earlier, you put a site up, you actually need what we call the backhaul. Yeah. The backhaul is the radio network that connects some, you know, that endpoint to a to a to a switch or a data center, so you can actually experience the internet. Where you can put it up, but you can't experience anything. Mm, mm. Um, so solving, I think, the backhaul problem is is uh, one. And one of the problems we see is that you probably can't get fiber everywhere. You know, they're too remote, too complex. It costs too much money to run fiber, you know. So going back to old-fashioned approaches like microwave, that's one. Uh, You know, or embracing things like satellite are very, very important. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one. The second one is for the underserved, uh, particularly in outside of our Klang Valley maybe world. Um, If you think about secondary towns, uh, tertiary towns, key Public institutions like hospitals, transport hubs, bus depots, train stations. You know, I think we could really take a more targeted approach to getting those better covered. So people always have, you know, whether it's for safety, connect, you know, connections yeah. to in, emer- in emergency times or even work. Yeah. You know, if you're the, so you can grow a grab-based yeah. driver economy outside of KL. Yeah. Um, you know, that's likely where it's meant to happen as mm-hmm. well. So, so that's the second problem that we see that. You know, we tend to have an approach 
and, and actually Malaysia has been pretty successful at using uh, public projects to get coverage, but we're at a different phase. So we tend to have a very broad macro approach to everything. It's time to be a little bit more micro and targeted. Okay, let's take a short break. Uh, folks, I'm in the studio with Suresh Sidhu, uh, the CEO and founder of Edgepoint. We're talking a little bit about the transformative power of connectivity in Southeast Asia. We're looking at the white paper, an infrastructure-based approach to advance digital equity in Southeast Asia. If you do have any questions for us, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. Of course, you can get us on x we are at bfm radio whole bunch more questions coming up in just a few moments but we have some adverts to get through and of course some music from faithless with muhammad ali we'll be right back after these messages here on bfm 89.9 the business station bring forth money bfm 89.9 BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. It is Wednesday, the 13th of December, 2023. I'm in the studio with Suresh Sidhu. He is the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Edgepoint. We're discussing um, this uh, white paper, an infrastructure-based approach to advance digital equity in Southeast Asia. Uh, Suresh, thank you for sticking around. Um, obviously, you, you've been in this game quite, quite a while now. Um, it, it, that's fair to say. And you've probably come across some difficulties, some red tape, and there's nothing that involves red tape more than, than government, right? And let's be entirely honest about this. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that governments face when it comes to implementing policy recommendations, and particularly some that you've mentioned earlier, and how do they overcome them? So, Richard, I think you're, you're right about the red tape. It is extensive, mm. um, you know, across all the countries. Uh, strange Indonesia, slightly less red tape, by the way, you know, so we can learn something from them. Uh, but I think what you have is a, uh, you know, a, a kind of reliance on forms and mm. submissions, which are meant to protect many people. And I can, I can actually understand that. Perhaps the problem I see is that it's not that people lack the conviction Right, they, if you talk to regulators and you know um, sort of ministers or ministries in all three countries, are they wanting to solve the problem of connectivity? Yes. Are they doing things about it? Absolutely. Have they been doing it for years? Yes. You know, and I think all three countries can be proud of uh, many things that they've achieved. What I think we're maybe um, struggling with, in particular, is that the world has changed. Mm. I think we talked just now in the little, uh, you know, break about enabling smart farming. Yeah. You know, if you want to enable smart farming, you need pretty good coverage, That's even right. in urban. If you're wanting to extend it to communities in secondary and tertiary towns, they need great coverage. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And yeah. mobile is the way to do it. Mm. So it's about modernizing the approach, I think, a government's efforts to what problem they're trying to solve. Um, and then I think the change needed to shift the mindset from, but you must only do it this way. So I think the red tape exists. It is a problem. But I think the bigger issue is, you know, getting from realization to kind of change mm. the way that they do things, to, mm. you know, adopt and accept so many different use cases and reasons, mm. um, which is probably the biggest shift that mm. we need to help people with. Do these solutions kind of differ then between Malaysia, Indonesia and, and the Philippines? I mean, you, you said that things seem to be easier in, in, in Indonesia a little bit. 
How how do they differ between these three countries? I think it's not so much that the solutions are similar. Emphasis is different. I think in Malaysia, we're really talking about the next level of sophistication. So it's great that the government here is promoting 5G and access of 5G in a much more deeply. It's not the biggest concern of the Philippines, for example, right? Mm. So emphasis is different, but getting more and more 4G coverage is critical in, in the Philippines. So yeah. coverage key, but yeah. you know what, what you cover and why you cover it, two very different things. Mm. For the Philippines, a lot more basic connectivity needs to be provided. For Malaysia, I think it's about saying, well, okay, we have this coverage. How do we use it um, and get the right types of uh, you know, innovation yeah. and opportunity into the hands of people who wouldn't normally have had it were the coverage not there, mm, right? Mm. So it's probably the, the, the different problem. You know, you're solving different problems. Mm. Now, what specific policy recommendations do you think that you would prioritize for, for Malaysia? And what do you think you would prioritize for the Philippines and Indonesia? I mean, do they differ? Because I imagine they're all at different stages. Um, can you give me uh, some suggestions? Yeah, let me give you a, yeah, a couple, which I think are consistent. The one is, I think, to encourage the use of more alternate projects for connectivity, which includes thinking about the backhaul and the connectivity between points, not just the endpoint. I think that's a important thing. Um, many projects are inflexibly drawn up around a process and SOP that was, you know, uh, corrects 20 years ago. So I think we're dealing again with a mm. change and a realization problem. Um, I think a second one would be being much more targeted around, you know, very, very selective, great coverage for key facilities, public facilities in uh, secondary and tertiary towns. I think those are common for uh, for all three countries. Mm. For Malaysia, I do think we can reform uh, red tape. It just takes a long time to get through the local planning process, even if you're running a government project. So whether you're running a commercial project, government project, you still have to go through quite a lot of red tape. Mm. Um, And it's there, as I said, for a reason. But surely we can Mm. simplify things as well and automate Mm. uh, the process so that, you know, approvals can come much quicker as well. I mean, the... I mean, your experience, these governments that we're talking about, uh, and they have the resource and the appetite, right? And you, you've mentioned that. Um, do all of them have, I, I guess, the appetite? It, it makes sense for them to only be doing this, right? They, they know that we have to be going in this direction, correct? Yeah, I think they all have the appetite. I think it's the question of, like any, let's take, you know, and Richard, I think on your show you talk to companies going through transformation. Yeah. So, um, and what we're talking about is a little bit of a transformation. Mm. And somebody has to work to change mindsets and culture and process at a very detailed level. Mm. And um, it's embedded over, you know, take Malaysia. I think some processes go back to colonial times. They haven't changed, right? You know, so uh, there's a lot of work to be done. We did see, though, um, change happen rather rapidly when we... Gobind Singh Dio, a few years ago, yeah. of course, we were looking at internet prices and coverage and one thing, and it had been stuck in that vat almost for, for such a long time. And he came in, and it seemed almost very, very rapidly that things changed very quickly. Do you see much happening with him coming back to helm things now? 
Well, I think, you know, as I say, you know, we think even Minister Fahmy, I think, has had a very, very strong focus on, yeah. you know, the unconnected, right? And so I think we never doubt you know, anyone's kind of intent. I think it's it's very, very uh, honest, at, you know, what people put out there. I, I, I hope, you know, maybe with this change, there can be more focus. One of the issues probably is focus. Uh, but I believe that the ministers themselves, you know, they need help, right? They need to find champions. Mm. Um, they may be able to push things along. But sometimes I feel, the you know, governments can borrow a page from companies, in the sense that I run Who are a, the experts at the end of the day? Well, about getting change done, right? Yeah. We only survive by continuous change. Yeah. And you have to build that capability in your company. And, you know, and I can say many things, but I can't be in three countries at once. I think great people <laughs> and well, like my I mean, you've people. got your WhatsApp. Uh, yeah, well, you know, yes, I try to extend my virtual presence <laughs> as much as possible. But you still need... To truly change, I think nobody's going to change by WhatsApp and email, Yeah, right? Yeah. They need a chat. They need to understand. They need to be brought into the fold. Mm. And that's a patient process, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think if there's any way companies like ours can help, we, we'd be happy to. Mm. But, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, the new ministers might want to look at is just how do you accelerate change? Um Not by necessarily bulldozing your way through people. You've got to find a way to co-opt a lot of people who have been there for years and actually are doing a good job according to the rules that they were given. Right, yeah. You know, so I think we make too many judgments about, yeah. you know, people's motivations. I just think they were given rules and you that's, know, it. that's you, what they do. You can right? only work within the confines yes. of what you, you, you've been given. Okay. So, Richard, I, I need to take another short break. Um, we have a, a bunch more questions though when it comes back. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, uh, public-private sector uh, kind of uh, – helping to bridge this digital divide as well. Folks, I'm in the studio with Suresh Sidhu, of course. He is the uh, CEO and and founder of Edgepoint. We're discussing the white paper, an infrastructure-based approach to advanced digital equity in Southeast Asia. If you do have any questions for us, uh, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. Short break. uh, We've got some music coming up from Angel Dust after we've had some messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back here on Enterprise Business. Bytes, BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes here on BFM 89.9. I'm Rich Bradbury, of course. I'm in the studio with Suresh Sidhu. He is the CEO and founder of Edgepoint. We're discussing, um, I guess, uh, boosting digital equity in Southeast Asia. Some of the strategies, of course, looking at the white paper, an infrastructure-based approach to advance digital equity in Southeast Asia. Suresh, we've, we've managed to get through quite a bit so far, but before I let you go, um, let's talk a little bit about um, public sectors and private sectors and how, what kind of roles do you think they should play in bridging the divide in Southeast Asia? Look, I think we need to find much more tighter partnership between public and private sectors because some of the solutions are very simple extension to private infrastructure. Mm. Some of the things we're talking about require much bigger, broader projects, right? So um, one of the things that we've been looking at in Malaysia is just looking around uh, at the sites we serve. We host many, all the mobile operators at our sites, you know, know, and what we're trying to understand, uh, there are a lot of crowdsourced tools is if there are patches of relatively poor coverage nearby, even though there's a site where we're hosting an operator, 
what's a simple way to solve the problem and help the operator sort that out, right? Which actually we can transfer to the government as well. Because mm. some of this underserved coverage is actually a micro-coverage problem. And there are a lot of simple, cheaper micro-coverage solutions that maybe we can deploy um, that will help things mm. and simply will not break the bank. Can you right? give me an example? A repeater, right? right so right. it's just the, it's the same thing you use in your house, your Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. One end of the house, you put a repeater antenna so you can get it to the other end. That's it, right? It, it'll, it'll, it'll be relatively, to the cost of a new site and you know, radio equipment, it's mm. really a fraction, right? Say maybe 5% or 10%. Mm. So... So we'd like to encourage the use of, you know, things like, you know, all technology. And these technologies have been around for a long time. So just think out of the box a little bit, right? Mm. People are very, oh, I need a site. I need a site. I need this, you know, a steel tower. I need all that stuff. So just think out of the box as well. Mm. Um, on the more complex thing, let's say, you know, building a microwave backhaul network, Sarawak, we feel is a place that, you know, is worth exploring where we create a dedicated microwave network. I think you can... Imagine a more formal public-private partnership where, you know, private companies can bid to own and run that infrastructure and fund it uh, in return for converting everything to a, a lease fee. This is what we do in our normal business of infrastructure for private mobile companies. We could convert the same model. I think there are a lot of advantages. One is certainty. Two, governments don't have to upfront, you know, spend all that yeah. capex. Yeah. They yeah. can allocate their annual budget more efficiently to other projects as well. Mm-hmm. And I believe a far greater transparency. When you convert pricing for government to something similar to how the private sector works, you're able to understand, why am I paying 30% more? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where does it come from? <laughs> so you're, you're much clearer on your benchmarks as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And actually, you know, we really encourage that kind of transparency. Mm. Um a couple of questions then, just before we wrap up. And, and I think looking at some of the recommendations in the white paper, what do you see as the future of digital equity in Southeast Asia? I, I think, you know, we, I'd say it's bright on a couple of assumptions. The, you know, the first is that the intent to provide equitable coverage continues. I think we'll have very little doubt that whatever government we have, whether it's you know, in, here in Malaysia or even if in the Philippines the president is seven years and the new president comes in, I think consistency around that policy is likely to continue. So that's mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. But two, I think the will to really tackle the problems in the modern way for modern problems, right? I think, um, you, like I said, so much of the way projects are set up and processes set up and procedures are set up for some of these, you know, equity, digital equity infrastructure projects are around a need 20 years ago right. where the gap was significant. Yeah. And it really was about putting up a tower and the tower will cover five villages. Yeah. But now we're needing to cover one village and a little bit of another on the other side of the hill, right? Mm. You know, um, so you need a little bit more, I think, embracing of, you know, different kinds of approaches that are more specific mm. and solve the problem. Right? I mean, earlier we, we talked about, what was it, one point every, there's a SIM card for every 1.4 person, was it? Was in, it? Yeah, in well, Malaysia, uh, that's right, we're about right. two SIM cards per person. Two right? SIM cards yeah. per person. Yeah. And I, I, you know, in the top of my head and, and looking at uh, some of the things that I've been speaking about, I can only imagine that number growing as yeah. it's it, exponentially, you know, people using the internet for for. Pretty much, you can't be without the internet now. You know, you you can't do your shopping, you can't do your banking uh, unless you are in some way connected to the internet in most places. So, 
I do see this as something, you know, digital equity is not just something that is a, a phrase that we throw around. It has to be solved. It has to be dealt with, right? I think if you don't get services out to segments of society that, you know, uh, are likely to be the ones that most need it, yeah. digital banking, mm. you know, um, uh, sort of digital education, you, you know, it's going to be difficult to send, uh, you know, as many teachers as you can everywhere. So they need some sort of digital yep. solution for which coverage is critical. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll never catch up or we'll forever, maybe, or maybe we may be a very successful country, but we'll always have a divide. Mm-hmm. And is that the country that we want, mm-hmm. right? I think everyone needs to be given a chance. And, you know, I'm a very old-fashioned uh, guy in that way. I, I think back to my growing up in what I call Ground Zero, the Malaysia project, Padaling Jaya, right? Everybody moved there in the 60s and 70s. So all our parents moved there. They all got civil service jobs. And a great place, a multiracial hotbed of everyone mixing. And as a consequence, probably set the tone and the base for a lot of Malaysia's future development. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, we, we need to sort of build this, you know, common beliefs again, mm. Um, that first phase of Malaysia's growth gave so many people who didn't have access the chance to progress in society. Uh, we need to make sure that this societal mobility and access continues, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, you become a bit ossified, and you know that's never a great place. Final question, then, before I let you go, and of course, we, we've been speaking about um, in in one way momentum moving forward. You know, how can stakeholders? Um, Keep this momentum sustained, you know, towards achieving digital equity in, in the long term. How do we how do we ensure that happens? Well, you know, I think uh, sometimes there's no substitute for perseverance, actually. Um, and uh, you know, the question then is, how do you institutionalize right. perseverance? You know, mm-hmm. so I, I, look, I I think a bit of reform. Of some great things we already have is probably what's needed. So, you know, in Malaysia, we have lots of government projects that try to solve this problem. We've got the USP fund. Um, you know, we've got other funds from, you know, MOSTI. So there's a lot of funds everywhere that help mm. with, uh, you know, with it. So, uh, you know, are they designed for modern use? Uh, you know, do they accommodate the fact that maybe we're trying to do smart farming in rural areas and, you know, really give farmers their whole uh, leg up? You know, so... Are they thinking about the new purposes by, for what you know what's required, or are they stuck in the in mm. it always? So I think mm. the first step is to establish maybe a clearer policy that is more in step with today's times. I think the second one is to probably make sure that you know we have better coordination between all these pools of funds, mm. um, and the third is I, I feel you know to ensure that the leadership in these of these institutions is always you know selected from the you know the most competent as well as people i believe who have a strong social objective yeah, right yeah. you know you, you need to think about it right so mm. over 10 years people will change don't just but put them there for the sake of putting them that's there. right so right. find find people who who really you know get the program want to be in the program and want to dedicate their time to doing it mm. as well, right? So I think leadership is a hidden thing that we need to get right as well. Brilliant. Suresh, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome.
Folks, I've been here in the studio, of course, with uh, Suresh Sidhu. He's the CEO and founder of Edgepoint. Um, we've been talking about the white paper that was uh, released fairly recently, an infrastructure-based approach to advance digital equity in Southeast Asia. If you missed any part of this show, I highly recommend you go back and have a listen to the podcast at wherever you normally get it from. I recommend it, uh, you use the BFM app. That, of course, is available uh, via the Apple App Store or Google Play. But don't go anywhere because coming up after the one o'clock news, we have the Breakfast Grill replay. Sam Bankman-Fried uh, faces multiple uh, fraud charges in the collapse of his cryptocurrency firm, FTX. Rachel Humphreys and Caitlin Ostroff, the Wall Street Journal's producer and reporter, reflected on their month at court and answer a whole bunch of questions about what happened on the FTX trial. That was on the Breakfast Grill this morning. Don't miss that one. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news. Um, I'll be back same time, same place tomorrow for Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.